G'day. We're here at Cape Tribulation and about to explore the Dubbajee Boardwalk and Myall Beach Precinct. The local Gooka Yalanji rainforest people call this area the Place of Spirits, and that's Dubbajee in Yalanji language. Dubbajee is just one of the four marvellous parks boardwalks between the Daintree River and Cape Tribulation, and it has some fascinating stories to tell. Stories about unique flora, fauna, and some of the great movements, movements of water, land, coral, and political unrest. I'm Mike, the Darcy of Daintree, and this is one of our Rainforest Insights podcasts, where we present some of David Attenborough's most favourite places in the world. Now, most of the Daintree lowland rainforest is described as complex mesophyll rainforest. Mesophyll means big leaf, and what we'll see is a very wet, diverse rainforest with many large-leafed plants. On top of that, Dubbajee is also a rare example of a mesophyll vine forest growing on sand. It's full of spring-fed streams, sedges and swamps, which all gradually merge into tidal or saltwater mangrove habitat near Myall Beach. And what's under Dubbajee's sandy surface is just as interesting as what's on top, but let's save that for later. The boardwalk is very flat, and at just 1,200 metres long, it's hardly a marathon. It's also pram and wheelchair accessible. OK, let's go and take a look around Dubbajee. Just near the start here, we find this lovely natural fan palm gallery. Looking up, it is really fantastic, isn't it? with those big fronds spreading out like long-handled umbrellas and silhouetted at all angles against the skyline. Up high, clumps of coconut-like fibre embrace the top of the trunk, and down here, some of that fibre has slipped round its ankles like a loose pair of trousers. Fan palms, by the way, were one of the common roofing materials of the Guka Yalanji rainforest people, and they make really good umbrellas if you're caught short in the rain. Fan palms have very unusual root systems in common with the rest of the world's palms and quite different to most trees. Most standard trees have vertical tap roots reaching deep into the soil to get water and nutrients. In cyclone-prone and tropical rainforest trees, it's quite a different adaptation. Our trees often have buttresses with spreading roots crisscrossing with roots from other trees to create a strong base. Fan palms and our other 14 wet tropics palm species are different again. They have big round root balls concentrated around the trunk and their special cyclone resilience comes both from hiding under the canopy and swaying in the breeze. Just around the corner, past the fantastic fan palm sign, we'll pause to notice some clumps of trees with bumps on trunks. These bumps are not parasitic growths, rather a form of coliflory, which roughly translates to trunk flower. This means that flowers and fruit can grow out from each of these nodes. It's a common evolutionary mechanism, which occurs mainly in tropical rainforests around the world. Some well-known plants that do this are the bumpy satin ash, cocoa, jackfruit, jaboticaba, plus many of our fig or ficus species. It's a cute trick, because coliflory gives the trees a chance to use ground-based pollinators, while most of the tropical rainforest flowering action is high up in the canopy. 
it's horses for courses. On we go, and here we find a little cutout in the boardwalk protecting a four-metre tree with an albino elephant-like trunk and hard waxy fronds. It's the slow-growing Hope Cycad. This one started life about the same time that the Dutch spice traders first visited New Holland, now Australia, near Weeper in Cape York in 1606. Here comes a major fork in the pass, and right ahead of us in the corner is a huge old tree with masses of bare roots, of strangler figs and umbrella trees. Trees growing as epiphytes on other trees, but growing from the top down. Now we'll take that right-hand route, keeping the line of freshwater sedges to our left. If we look around carefully, we might see a cassowary, the dinosaur bird, just resting near the water, or picking up and swallowing fruit. They might be large, but they can walk quietly and gently, and we should do the same. If we're lucky, a 40-kilogram dad and chicks might walk around the bushes or along the path. If it comes towards us, just back off slowly. Definitely don't run away and never get between dad and his chicks. Can you hear that chook-like sound? You might have heard it during the night. It's the call of the orange-footed scrub fowl. And if they're not calling out in the distance, they'll be busily foraging around for food on the ground, scratching around. See those two small chicken-like birds over there by the mound of earth? It's not too clear, but you might be able to see their orange feet. Yep, that's the orange-footed scrub fowl, along with that notch on the top of its head. The giant mound of earth is actually their permanent nesting mound. It's about two metres high and seven metres diameter. The scrub fowls dig a hole in the mound, where mum lays one solitary egg at a time, then fills in the hole, and thereby completes all parental responsibility. About 45 days later, the chick digs its way out of the mount, totally independent and able to forage for itself and fly. Amazing. There's a lot more about these little guys in our podcast, Orange-Footed Extreme Bird. I think you'll enjoy it. A bit further on over here to the right, we can see a short, reddish, solid-looking tree. This is one of my favourite examples of nature's quirky art forms. Is that a mouth? Is that someone's mouth that's open? A sideshow clown's mouth, perhaps? A tree with lips after an overdose of Botox? Like all art, each of us will see something different. It's getting noticeably darker under the thick canopy now. We're becoming surrounded, even confronted, by lots of climbing vines. These are different species of woody liana vines. Some are smooth, some as rough as cork bark, some as thick as a torso, but all of them share that erratic corkscrew spiralling up into the sky as they twist and twine, splitting and collapsing and starting all over again. Now out of the dark and suddenly into the light. We've come to a wonderful example of how rainforests regenerate after cyclones. Back in 1999, Cyclone Rona cut a narrow swathe through the rainforest. She destroyed many trees and exposed the canopy, so we can actually look out across a dense carpet of what is virtually a rattan or wait-a-while mini-forest, with a few baby fig trees struggling for a toehold in between, and large-leafed cook vines smothering the small trees. Alongside, let's check this park sign talking about matchbox bean vines. 
The matchbox is a legume with the longest seed pod in the world, plus a staggering 24 different alkaloids. The second half of the walk takes us across a few little bridges alongside streams and swampy ground. These streams provide wonderful habitats for two look-alike plants that live together along the waterways, sedges and bush pandanus. Both have long leaves with spiky edges that provide shelter and food for the smaller wildlife. The sedges especially for frogs, spiders, snails and tadpoles and the pandanus for especially little blue-green peppermint stick insects but also other little katydids and other small creatures. It's really difficult to identify the difference between sedges and pandanus. Sedges generally grow in the water with thinner leaves rising from the base and have slightly less spiky leaves. Pandanus, on the other hand, prefer higher ground and their leaves grow out of a trunk, often with chew marks from the peppermint stick insects. We've come to a little vegetation island splitting the path, a sort of a roundabout, I guess. Near these big trees to the left, we often see foraging orange-footed scrub fowls. These big trees are really quite special. They're the northern silky oak, or bull oak, or Cudwellia sublimus. It's one of the world's rare primitive flowering plants. Its flowers and seed pods stick out above the tree branches uh, up in the sky. Uh, the large papery seeds will later sprout into distinctive butterfly-shaped young leaves in the wet season. As we make a sharp left-hand turn, we'll take the time to look at some of the detail. As the walk rambles along the stream and the swampy ground, we're finding a mixture of tree ferns, bumpy satin ash, magnificent melaleucas or paperbarks, blue-fruited quandongs, red beech, the one with the red papery trunk, various palms, sedges, pandanus, and epiphytic ferns hitching a ride on host trees. At another split in the path, here's yet another little vegetation island with an unusual primitive conifer. Look out for the drooping, flattish but smooth pencil-shaped leaves with a bright lime green colour. It doesn't look like a pine or conifer or podocarp, but it is. It's an ancient species called weeping brown pine or the northern brown plum. It actually has a type of plummy nut eaten by cassowaries. But plums grow from flowers, so these guys are not really plums, but just plum-like. The sign on the little island also mentions looking glass mangroves. As we look up, we can see untidy branches with untidy leaves, grey-green on top and lighter underneath, and unmistakable. On a very lucky day, we might also see a tree kangaroo as they have been spotted resting high up among the branches. We're nearing the end of the main walk, across two little bridges with dark mud, protruding mangrove roots, well-camouflaged crabs, and maybe a lace monitor or a red-legged paddy melon. We've arrived in a world of mangroves. Very prominent here at Dubbergee are the Bragera mangroves. They're the tall trees with dark-coloured almost grotesque arching roots, jutting out like square shoulders and propping up the trunk. While all mangroves have floating seeds, these mangroves have a strange way of propagating. Bragueras have small fruit 
and a long stem that actually grows on the fruit while it's still on the tree. So it's literally pre-germinated. Then some of these propagules float away horizontally on top of the moving water. It might look like they should drop down and pierce the mud like a spear, but this hardly ever happens. We'll take the right-hand path at a fork in the track, and soon after there's a T-intersection. The left track goes back to the car park, but we'll turn right for a look at my old beach, towards the gentle sound of the coral sea surf. The beach gives us a totally different perspective. Off to the left or the north is Cape Tribulation. Straight ahead is the fringing coral reef just offshore. And down to the south are low mangroves growing out from Myall Creek. Along the coastal fringe is a mixture of typical coastal plants like coconuts, she-oaks and sea lettuce trees. We'll spend a few minutes reflecting on the diversity of this Daintree living treasure. We've seen patches of lowland rainforest, swamps, mangroves and coastal vegetation with fringing reef offshore. Each component is distinctly different, yet together they're a part of this wet tropics diversity. So while we walk back to the car park, let's talk about how Dubbergee itself came to be. The science is still a little ambiguous on the exact timings, but we're told that a few thousand years ago, maybe seven or so, when the Earth was coming out of its most recent ice age, the sea levels rose between one to two metres above current levels. And for about 1,000 years, the shoreline was near where Cape Tribulation Road now is. Coral reef had already established itself over the continental shelf and the reef kept creeping in to form colourful, living, fringing coral reef with the coral forming a barrier between the sea and the rainforest, creating a type of lagoon. Pieces of floating volcanic pumice, broken chunks of coral, sand created by coral-eating fish, and natural erosion from the nearby mountains built up inside the lagoon. Then the sea level started their gradual drop once again, and the fringing reef became exposed at low tide, just as it is today. Ever so slowly... The sandy surface became suitable for vegetation, and voila, here we have it. Now we have today's dubbage, which is complex mesophyll vine forest growing on sand. Back at the car park and picnic area, now with its very own colourful modern history. It was once a police camp with caravans, a dog squad, even a portable jail on wheels. The police set up camp here in 1983 and 1984, during a battle over the Bloomfield Track, famously called the Daintree Blockade. It was a torrid time for arrests and being locked up for a day or two became a badge of honour. In 1996, the Daintree Rescue Program replanted about 12,000 trees in the car park area. The boardwalk and precinct was finally opened in 1998, minus the portable jail and dog squad, I guess. So that concludes our walk through Dubbergee, the place of spirits. You may wish to check out more special Daintree places and podcasts through our Darcy of Daintree website. And if you're thinking of doing a private Darcy of Daintree tour, I can show you around Dubbergee and some other fascinating parts of the Daintree. So thanks for listening. Until next time.